Uh, I shared this last year, this little bit, and I thought I'd share it this year because it's so good uh, that I thought you, you might enjoy it. And there are some people that were not here last year that need to hear this. One night, a Viking named Rudolph the Red was looking out the window when he said, It's going to rain. To which his wife replied, How do you know? Because he said, I know. And she said, How do you know? And he said, Because Rudolph the Red knows rain, dear. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> she said, Bless him. <laughs> I heard it. I heard it. Was that Isaiah? I heard it. Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer. I thought it was funny. I liked it when I first read it. In fact, I, I'm full of dad jokes. You should come see me sometime. I'm here all week. <laughs> I was called old yesterday, and it just has not set well with me. <laughs> I, I was working out last night, uh, which is my custom to do. I haven't done it as much lately because we've been moving into our new place, and that's a workout in and of itself. And... Uh, but I was at the gym last night, and these two young, young fellows came in, and I was putting a, a, weight, weighted, a weight belt on because I was going to work my back a little bit. And a um, young guy came in and said, you, you want this heavy belt of mine? You can borrow mine. It's got the buckles, and mine just had the Velcro. And I said, nah, man, I don't lift that heavy anymore, although the truth of it is I probably do. But I said, no, I don't lift that heavy anymore. All right, man, you, I'm, I'm just saying you, you look good, man. I said, I'm not... Like, hey, you, you sure are ripped. I said, how old do you think I am? I said, how, how old are you? Because I hadn't introduced myself to him before. I'm 21, and the other one came. I'm 23. I said, how old do you think I am? And the first one said, 46? I wanted to kick him right in the kneecap so bad. <laughs> Last week, this was a little longer, and you can definitely see the, the, the silver fox coming out in me. But I, I trimmed it down so you really couldn't see the color, so I thought it would help me. The other guy said, like, 33. I liked him better. I still like him better to this day. And one of them looked at me and said, well, you look, you look, you're in great shape for an old guy. I said, the devil is a lie. You can get out of my gym. <laughs> Who says that? You're in great shape for an old guy. I said, and then uh, last night, on, I put that on Facebook because I just couldn't get over it. Uh, and Gabriel Kitchens piped up on my page. Where is he? And said to me, you are in good shape for an old guy. And I said, in the morning at church, you're welcome to test that theory. He wouldn't even so much as shake my hand this morning, Joey. In fact, he's normally there. He hid on the other side of the church, so I couldn't find him. So, boy, I'll beat the red out of that hair. <laughs> no, I love those boys. My godsons, I love those kids. They're funny. I guess it's a con one guy piped up and said, well, it's a lot better to say you're in great shape for an old guy than, man, you're in really bad shape. You know, for a young guy or whatever. So as long as that one is satisfied with me, I guess I'll be okay. Are you still good? She likes me. That makes me good. This morning, in all seriousness, uh, I, I want to talk for a few minutes about, you know, we are in the second Sunday of Advent. Advent is the season that we celebrate uh, the coming of Jesus. In two ways, we, we celebrate his original coming when he came. Uh, born from the Virgin Mary. And so the season of Advent is the four Sundays that lead up to uh, December 24th, that lead up to um, New Year's Eve, and, or sorry, sorry, Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day when we celebrate Jesus' coming. Now we know historically that he probably was not born in December, that he was probably born somewhere in July or June, and that's perfectly fine. It doesn't really matter when he was born. The fact is that he was born. That's what matters, is that he was born. But I like celebrating this season. 
And in fact, you can tell Elizabeth's been here all week working and decorating and, um, and getting, getting it look nice. Um, but um, I want to, yes, she did a good job. Thanks, thanks. She did a good job. And, uh, but this morning, I want to talk a little bit about, about Advent with a subtitle, My Deliverer is Coming. There's an old song that Rich Mullins wrote years ago uh, that I think Jim Condis used to sing in our church. Um, or, and I think at one time there might have been a play or something that we did to it called My Deliverer. And it, the, the song was just simply, uh, it talks about Moses and the children in, uh, years ago in Egypt that were enslaved to Egyptian bondage. And they were singing a song, My Deliverer is coming, My Deliverer draws nigh. And then it fast forward to the New Testament. The, the uh, Israelites once again are under Roman occupation this time, not Egyptian uh, bondage, but Roman occupation. And it could be heard, the, 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 the voices of the children singing, My Deliverer is coming. And of course, we know that Jesus, uh, that Moses was simply a type and shadow of the real deliverer who is, was, and is to come, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that freed us from the law of sin and death, that freed us from a life of curse and sin, and freed us from our own, um, our own feelings of self-worthlessness. And is, is uh, shown us, what it, what, first of all, what the God the Father is really like, and secondly, uh, what we can be like as sons and daughters. So I will say this year, as you know, 2020, man, 2020. Uh, the most eventful year in our collective lives. I don't think it can even be argued. I think it's without precedent. The most eventful year. Uh, we're now just weeks away from its conclusion and already January of 2020 seems to have ended a lifetime ago. I said, this, is, this, this year has taken 10 years to get here. You, know, you remember back in January, did it not seem like it was like six or seven years ago? And January and February, and then boom, the whole COVID bomb was dropped. Um, and everything was shut down and locked down, and it was kind of cool for about a week or two. And then everybody's like, ah, I want to get out of here. And uh, I just can't remember a more tumultuous time of, in my 29 years on the earth. No, in all seriousness, I don't remember. I remember, I vividly remember the 80s, and I loved them. It's probably one of my favorite decades, probably because I was a kid and didn't know anything, and ignorance is bliss. Or maybe just because I was closer to having come out of the bosom of the Father, so I was more perceptive of heavenly things than we get older, and we think that we get smarter and wiser. And the truth of it is, the more we realize that we know, the more we realize that we really don't know. And, uh, but... I can say in this year that the serpent once again has reared its ugly head in the places of authority and seats of government and power. We have collectively witnessed overt hatred, blatant lying, flagrant abuse of power, uh, and to top it all off, this pandemic, which to me is not COVID, it's fear, but it goes by the subtitle of COVID. In the midst of it all, there is a cry. And that's what I want to talk about for 20 minutes. There's a cry, a hopeful longing, a deep desire for deliverance. Would anybody just like to be done with all the COVID and all the fighting and all the race wars and all the burning cities and all of the news pundits and, and pitting one side against the other? And I can hear a collective cry, not only just from Christians, but from the nation for deliverance. We're ready for this to be over. When will our deliverance come? And to every deliverance, there is a deliverer. This was uh, the song I was going to read to you. This is the lyrics to Rich Mullins' song written in the 80s. Joseph took his wife and her child and they went to Africa. They went to northern Africa, to Egypt, to escape the rage of a deadly king. There along the banks of the Nile, Jesus, li Jesus listened to the song that the captive children used to sing. They were singing. You remember it? My deliverer is coming. 
my deliverer is standing by. Through a dry and thirsty land, water from the canyon heights pours itself out of Lake Sangra's broken heart. There in the Sahara winds, Jesus heard the whole world cry for the healing that would flow from his own scars. The world was singing, my deliverer is coming. My deliverer is standing by. The song depicts the realization of the long-awaited Messiah for the nation of Israel. And truly for all of mankind, we are now into the second Sunday of Advent, which as I said, is from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. That is, uh, coming is, uh, is derived from the Greek translation word parousia. A desired coming can be defined as an expectancy. Therefore, the season we are in, this Advent season, is and should be what Marie said this morning and didn't know what I was going to talk about, a season of expectation. It's always like God to almost directly conflict with or at least contrast with what the, the narrative of the, of the day is. The narrative of today is, get us out of here. I can't wait for this to be over. I'm just sick and sick of 20. But if you listen to, the, if you listen to it through the right perspective, it's not just I want out of here. It's I have an expectation. I have an expectancy for some good things that God still has planned because whatsoever thing God begins, He also finishes. He's not only the finisher, or the author of my faith, he's the finisher of my faith. And if he said it, we can guarantee that he's going to do it. It might seem like, as I said three weeks ago, that we're in the middle in this tumultuous, wind-contrary, blowing storm. But the truth of it is Jesus has already promised you're going to make it to the other side. So there is rising within us collectively, and, and, and I believe as a whole across the nation, a spirit of expectation. The soil of expectation is the breeding ground for the miraculous. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The, the, the soil of expectation is the breeding ground for the miraculous. We look for his coming. Just as the Jewish community had long awaited the coming of Emmanuel, Emmanuel more than just God to us, he chose to be God with us. We, we perceive that he was Jesus, that he was the son of God that came to us. But that's normally where our perception stops. But his name was never called God unto us. He, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. I do want to stop there and pause and think about this in this season. For unto us, it's directive. It has a direction. The heart of the father has always had a direction. And the direction is unto us. Not away from us, not apart from us, but unto us a child is born. Which means for our benefit towards us, with us in mind, with us as the center of God's universe, unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful and Counselor and Mighty God and the Everlasting Father. He'll be the Prince of Peace, but not would he just be unto us, but he chose to have his name called God with us. My God, that means whether we're at the start of a storm, the middle of a storm, or the conclusion of a storm, God's with us in the beginning. He that was, and he that is, and he that is to come. We have an expectation 
that no matter where I am in, in my walk with him, no matter where we are in a nation with our, with our relationship with him, no matter where we are as a, as a globe, as an earth, with our relationship with him, we know that he was, that he is, and that he is to come. He was with us. He is with us, and he will be with us. That right there should be enough to wrap up a ribbon on top of the present and say, I know that I'm going to be okay, and I have an expectation because he's just as faithful as his word. We look for his coming. Just as the Jewish community had long awaited the coming of Emmanuel. Emmanuel more than God to us. He's God with us. What parallel we have today with those 2,000 years ago and even those several thousand years ago in Egypt. We look for his coming. And he did not come, or, and, he, and he did come. But not as they thought he would come. I'm going to repeat the whole paragraph. Today we have a parallel with the children of Israel 2,000 years ago who were expecting his coming, but they missed it because he came in a form that they did not understand. What if he's already come again and we don't know it because he's already come again in a form that we don't know? That sounds like heresy. It sounded like heresy 2,000 years ago, but it didn't change it from being the truth. Normally, one generation's heresy is the next generation's revelation. Hmm. The hoped for, they hoped for a Moses-like or David-like deliverer. And indeed, they, they were shadows of the true deliverer, which was to come. But when Jesus came, they did not even know that he was among them. Because he came in a form that was counter to their presupposition. John chapter 1 from the New King James. John chapter 1 verse 10. He was in the world. Now, the John, just, just really briefly, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic, synoptic gospels because they essentially carry the same stories in essentially the same sort of chronological order uh, with each other. You can read uh, one perception of the same story in Matthew and another in Mark and another in Luke. But John is completely different because John literally is like the Genesis version of Jesus. If you go back to Genesis and read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If you go to John 1.1, it says, it says uh, in the beginning, it, they both start the same way. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God in Genesis 1.1, and the Word was God in Genesis 1.1, and the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him and for Him. He's literally, it's John breaking down revelatory the fact that this expression, the perfect expression of God, is not just this Son that happened to come and that got anointed, but He was the Son that was in the face of the Father in the beginning by, by whom all things were created. So in, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him and for Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was light, and that light was the light of men, and that light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. You know the story. Here we're going to read it. This is, that's the first part of John. Now we slide all the way down to John chapter 1, verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right 
to become the sons and daughters of God to those who believe in his name or on his name, in his nature, that believe that he was who he said he was. Uh, I like the Passion Translation version of 10 all the way through, I think, 14. He entered into the very world he created. Here's the, here's the parallel between John 1 and Genesis 1. He entered into the world he created, yet the world was unaware. He came to the very people he created, to those who should have recognized him, but they did not receive him. I wonder how many times in 2020, in the midst of COVID, in the midst of pandemic, in the midst of fear, in the midst of race wars, in the midst of political upheaval, in the midst of of geopolitical upheaval, how many times God has come to us, but because we did not perceive that he was there, we missed him and missed his blessing 100% and completely. They thought he was going to come riding in on a horse. Reminiscent of the stories they'd heard of their forefather, David, King David, who came and, you know, slew the giant and the bear and Goliath and all the men that stood before him. And finally, at the end of his life, the Lord, the Bible says of David, then God gave him peace round about from all of his enemies. He finally got there. It took him a long time to get there. And they thought Jesus was going to come in, whoever this person was, this Messiah, this Christ. Christ was not his name. Christ just means the anointed one, the Messiah. It 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 was a title, but it's something that became a part of his identity. And they thought he would come in and topple the Roman occupation. And indeed, he did but not the way they thought he would Jesus's main weapon of warfare was surrender I can prove it to you if you want to read about it turn over to John chapter 17 sometime when he said he said glorify me now father with the glory that I had with you before the world was do you remember have you read this and then ultimately Ultimately, I I talked to Bishop Charles Johnson, and he was my mentor for so many years, as many of you know, and he preached to most of us. And if you ever met the man, you love the man. And he was just such a father. And I asked him one time, he was talking to me about some of his trips uh, on which I did not get to go, one of which was his first trip to Jerusalem. And I said, what was it for you? What was the spot? What was the place? What area in Jerusalem was it when... Something happened to you. Because you hear people that go to the Holy Land, they're like, man, when I stood at the foot of the cross, you know. And there's a couple of spots geographically that they say might be where Jesus was, was crucified and also where Jesus was buried. There's a couple of spots. But was it at the foot of the cross? He said, no, it wasn't there. He said, surprisingly, it wasn't. And I said, it must have been at the garden tomb where Jesus rose from the dead, where he that knew, knew no sin became sin, but he swallowed up death in victory and stepped out the firstborn from among the dead. And, and he said, no, it wasn't that. I said, where was it? And it was right here. He said, no, it was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I said, why was it the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, I suppose it's because that's where the battle was won. Because that's where Jesus bent his knee. I told you his, his main weapon of warfare was surrender and said, nevertheless. Nevertheless. Father, if it be possible, Jesus, the perfect expression of the Father, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will. Your will be done. And from that moment, from that moment, victory was on its way for all of us, each and every one of us. John chapter 1. This is the Passion Translation. He entered into the very world he created, yet the world was unaware. He came to the very people he created, to those who should have recognized him, but they did not receive him. I'm going to complete reading this, but I don't want you to think about this people 2,000 years ago. I want you to think about people that call themselves by the name of Christ in 2020. He entered into the very world he created, yet the world was unaware. He came to the very people he created. 
Or I could say he came to the ones that get up on Sundays and lift their voices in what they call worship. And sometimes it is. But worship is not a song. It can be expressed in a song. But worship is not a song. Worship is literally the, the, the combination of two words. Worth-ship. What is he worth to you? So singing is an act of worship, but it's not necessarily worship. You can worship without being able to carry a tune in the bucket. I know because some of you do it every Sunday. And that's okay. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> he came to the very people he created, to those who should have recognized him, but they did not receive him. But those who embraced him and took hold of his name, and that word name there means his nature. His identity, who he truly was. We're given authority to become the children of God. Which is to say, until you see the son as he really is, you won't walk into your identity as a son and a daughter like you really are. you got to see him perfectly. Because why? Because why? is what we say growing up. Because why? Because when you look at Jesus, you are looking at a mirror reflection of what you're called to be. Are you calling me little Christ? No. Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. But if he's the firstborn among many brethren, there must be many brethren and sisterin. But those who embraced him and took hold of his name were given authority to become the children of God. He was not born by the joining of human parents or from natural means or by man's desire, but he was born of God. How is this relevant to today? How is... Uh, how is Advent relevant, relevant to today in the craziness that is 2020? Maybe he has, is, and will come in a form that we have not yet recognized. What if he's already come to his own and we haven't perceived it because he came in a form we didn't recognize? You remember when two or three weeks ago, I know Bradley remembers because he called me about it when I preached about kingdom sightings. Is he, nobody? God, I must not have done a good job. Get the my dad will say, get the tape. I'll say, look at the podcast. Kingdom sightings. Look for sightings of the royalty, rule, realm, and reign of God. In is, any, is, it, is it jogging your memory any? Yeah, kingdom sightings. But what about God sightings? Today I want you to begin to look not for kingdom sightings, but king sightings. Because he's here. It's not just a reality. It's his name. God with us. He which was and is and is to come is here, was here, and will be here with us. That is his name, his nature, God with us. The deliverer has not forgotten, not forsaken, and not neglected you or me. Do you have any idea how difficult it is and has been for pastors or men and women in the midst of this year to try and bring hope on a daily and weekly basis? I can tell you I've set in my rocking chair on my porch outside my house and said, Lord, I don't know what else I possibly can give. Is it okay to be vulnerable just for a few minutes? I don't want to make you uncomfortable. In fact, this very week I said, I, I, I legitimately don't know what I could possibly give more than I've given. I mean, this year has just beat up so many people. It's beat us. It's beaten us down. It's beaten us over. And yet in the midst of that, there's always a remnant that says, you know what? The, the, to stand as the oracle of God and to stand and declare his goodness in the midst of this is what real sons and daughters would do. In the face of unprecedented, confusing, and painful time, it is the job of the remnant to keep the focus not on the storm, but on the one whose voice is still known by the winds and the waves of our current situation. I love that. 
the winds and waves still know His voice. He is with us, so starting today, I want you to begin to look for Him. What is He like? Here's something that we have that they didn't have 2,000 years ago. We know His nature now. We understand who He is. If they had understood who He was 2,000 years ago, Jesus would not have had to come. You've heard me say this before. For 4,000 years they had heard about God, but they had never seen God. They didn't know what He looked like, and they didn't know what He smelled like. When Kelly Varner wrote his book, I think it was Moses, the, Moses, the Master and the Manchild, he said that angels at the birth of Jesus looked over and said, Oh, that's what God looks like, because that's exactly what He looked like. That eight pounds of flesh wrapped up in a, in a, in a trough. In a, in, a, in a feeding trough for a bunch of sheep wrapped in swaddling cloths, priestly cloths, which they would, they would actually take you lambs, or little babies, and put them in so they wouldn't hurt themselves because if you're going to be a sacrificial lamb, remember you've got to be without blemish and you can't have a broken bone. And Jesus was without blemish and not one of his bones were broken. But he's with us. I want you to begin to look for him. The, the Bible says that we will see him and we will find him when we seek him with our whole heart. Matthew 7, 7 says this. It's very simple. Ask, A-S-K. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you will find. Knock, A-S-K. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. This is the King James. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocks the door will be opened. Okay, Lord, so here's what I'm going to do. In the midst of this crazy year, it is incumbent, it's, it's imperative that we begin to look for king sightings. How are you, what are you trying to say? Not why, I learned a long time ago, and I think it might have been Randall, the first person I heard say this. Not why is this happening to me, but what am I supposed to learn through this? Because as long as you're learning, you're growing. And as long as you're growing, you ain't dying. And I have no interest in dying anytime soon. In fact, I don't have any interest in ever dying. Well, that sounds radical. What Jesus said, he that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He that believeth in me shall live and never die. I can give you, I can give you the John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That word perish is death, but have life. Aeonius, life throughout the ages. Eternal life. In this season of Advent, the season of expectation, let us change the tone of the atmosphere from that of fear to one of hopeful anticipation. That's probably at least in the top three of the most powerful phrases that I've said today. When I was growing up, um, I learned something, and the Lord showed me this as a revelation just a few years ago. It hadn't been that long ago. That what is said is very important, but the tone in which it's said is equally important. For instance, when I was growing up, if my dad would say, Josh, come here, I would obey him. And I'd be like, okay, you know. But if he said the same words, Joshua, come here. Yep. Jake, come up here. Jake, hurry up, get up here. Just like that. You're a good boy. Now go sit down. <laughs> go sit down. No, I'm just kidding. The tone in which we speak is just equally as important as what we say. And you as sons and daughters of the Most High God, 
as children of the king, have the ability to change the tone of culture with the way that you speak and the way that you act and the way that you move. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to me. It's not just what we say because if you're like, God's faithful, God's good. But if you say, no, God, what was it? But it's, yeah, my dad would say, my lumbago's kicking up. I don't even know what lumbago is. Remember what, I used to think lumbago was a, uh, was a camper, and I learned that's Winnebago. Well, I did. I'm like, man, I'm going to buy me one of them lumbagos, them 40-foot lumbagos. <laughs> Jason thought bago, uh, lumbago was the thing you put some cream cheese on in the mornings and eat them for breakfast. <laughs> See? When, yeah. When, thank you. That's what it is. Well, my, I might actually have lumbago then. You know, maybe that's why that ignorant wretch asked me yesterday how old I was. Told me I look good. Could I use his? No, he's not the ignorant wretch. When you leave here today, you're going to say, man, I laughed four times in church today. What did he preach about? I don't know, but it was funny. The tone in which. <laughs> Rudolph the red nose rain, dear. <laughs> the, tone in, the tone in which you carry yourself, the tone in which you speak, is just as powerful as what you speak and, 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 and what you do and say. I'm talking to you, I'm talking to me. So my tone's not always very good. If, I, if, if William are here, he's not here this morning, or even Jake and I, would, it, you know, Jake can get up, or let's just say I can get up and play violin this morning, and Sarah could say to me, okay, play this, ding, 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 and I would do it, and then she would get up and do the same thing, play the same notes, and I can guarantee you, you would rather hear her play than me. Why? Because she has developed the proper tone. I remember the first time Rich lied through his teeth and told me that William played a guitar part better than I used to play it. <laughs> no, it was um, Great God. Da, 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 da. And it was at the old building, my father's old block building. And he walked to me after church. He said, man, he said, I, I remember hearing you play that. And man, you did good, but William is better. <laughs> you know what I said? I said, you're right. You're right. I know. You're right. It's because his tone is so developed. In fact, it, it, you probably are not aware in this church, maybe you are, of just how developed his tone is on guitar. That guy is extremely good. And it's not just about what he plays. It's the tone in which he plays. It's not always just about what you say or what you do. It's the tone. Did you know that there's enough people in this church that we could change the tone of this local community and Forest City and Rutherford and the place around if we'll just change the tone of our voices and change the tone of our attitude? Attitude. My dad used to say, you need to have an attitude of gratitude. My attitude hadn't always been one of gratitude. In fact, this week my attitude hadn't been one of gratitude. And yet I know that I have within me the ability to change the tone. Have you ever, um, have you ever walked in uh, or met with or come in contact with a, a severely depressed person and spent any amount of time with them when you leave, you're just like... Have you? Am, am I the only one? Have you ever been around someone that's just always bubbly and funny and loving? And, and, you're, and, and sometimes that's also exhausting. But you walk away like, man, I love that. I love that. Uh, when, when I get into a place of sort of lowliness, one of the first things that I look for is Rachel or Jason or Bella or one of the little kids. Because kids, they're, they're just hilarious. I don't know what it is. It's probably because they haven't learned to be depressed yet unless you've taught them that. 
They're just always, I mean, the world's just always wonderful and great. And, you know, it, it's great. Man, the rain's beautiful out. Man, the sun's beautiful. Man, this is great and that's great. And that's why I'm like, my God, they're just completely optimistic about everything. And if you get around them before long, man, you, I play uh, pool with my little son, Jason. We got a pool table from the, into the basement. And uh, I, I, the last two or three days of my week hadn't been incredibly great. But I went and played pool with that guy last night. When he shoots it, he just, it's probably not funny to anybody but me, but when, when Jason shoots, he just goes, like, he, just, he puts this, like, little jerk thing into it, and he'll go, you know, and I don't know, I just laugh every time. I, I video him doing it so I can watch it because it, for some reason, it just makes me laugh. It changed the tone of my night playing pool with my little boy Jason last night. It changed Jacob's tone playing with me because I beat him so bad, he just walked up, woe is me, my lumbago's kicking up. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's tough getting me. It's just easier for me to do this these days, you know, because I'm sort of having a natural bend. The tone that you carry can be released. Bill Johnson always says it this way. I love the way he says it. He says, he, he, he says, why is it that Peter and John, when they would pass through, the New Testament said, and their shadow would fall on people and they would be healed. And, and the way that he put it was because your shadow will always release whatever overshadows you. Isn't that good? If we're, if, if we're overshadowed by His presence, if we're overshadowed by Him, He that abides in the secret place of the Most High God will abide under the shadow of the Almighty, and then your shadow begins to... Your tone, your shadow, your voice, your tone is not just for you, but your tone is an, uh, can emanate from you. Jesus did. I mean, Jesus just walking down the road brought people hope. It was the things that He said and the way that He said them. So this week, I just want to challenge you. I, I know I'm just a little bit beyond my time, and I apologize for that. But I want you to, I want you to begin to seek for king sightings. I want you to celebrate the advent, the coming. I want you to, I want you to be in anxious, not anxious, but, but in, in, in almost anxious anticipation. Anticipation and expectancy of what it is that God is going to do in this season. I expect good things, and I expect to get to the end of this tunnel. I'm not just waiting for the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm expecting the light to, to barrel through the tunnel. And because he's God with me, and he is the light, he is, he is the one who bears light, then he walks with me through this. I expect good things, and I expect to see blessings, and I expect to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I expect to walk in health, and I expect to walk in prosperity. I expect to walk in restoration. It doesn't matter what they say. I will be so deep with my tone of expectation that I will drown out the naysayers. I expect the goodness of God in my house. I expect to walk in divine health. I expect, I expect, I expect. And before long, you'll become pregnant with what you're expecting. And you carry the seed of expectation with inside of you. And if you nurture it and you carry the proper tone, that, that thing that you give birth to will have the same tone that you have. In fact, if you have a negative tone, when you it, look, I, I learned this the hard way or, or the good way. When Elizabeth was pregnant with my babies, I would sing to her belly. And it wasn't hard because as big as that belly was, I could sing from anywhere in the house, when she, especially with Abby. And I know Abby heard me. Elizabeth's this big till she gets pregnant, and my God, the next thing you know, it's a, what? Looked like a little seahorse. She was, uh, Abigail was nine pounds, five ounces. 
I can promise you that baby never missed a meal inside of mom. Everything Elizabeth ate went straight to Abby. She came out, and honest to God, the first thing the nurse said, my God, look at those shoulders. The next thing the nurse said, my God, look at those cheeks. And her cheeks were big, fat cheeks and looked like a little bunny rabbit. In fact, her nickname with us is Bunny Bunny. And in Elizabeth's phone, it's Bunny because of how big and fat her cheeks were. But Abby came out with the same tone that she had heard for nine months inside mama's womb. In fact, before she came out, a month and a half into Elizabeth's pregnancy, a prophet named Bob Griffin looked and said, you got a little girl inside of you. We didn't know the, you don't know the gender at six weeks pregnant. you got a little girl inside of you, and there's some things in there that God's working out, and he's cleaning out, and he's restoring some stuff. But when she comes out, she's going to sing and lift up her voice, and the glory of God will be released in the earth like it's never been released. And here she is 17 years later as a 16-year-old releasing the glory of God on the earth. Why? Because she, has, she carries the same tone that my father and mother carried, that carried and passed through me, and now it's in this generation. And that's what I was talking about when I said about your grandson and your granddaughters and all of them, that they carried the same tone. So if you're always walking around, talk, I mean, you, this ain't even necessarily a kingdom principle. It's just a reality principle. If you're always negative and depressed and you're around kids, they're going to either hate you or become just like you. And then they're going to resent you. It nothing sadder to me in the world than to see a five or six or eight or ten year old looking depressed. I'm like, my God, these ought to be the happiest people in the world. But if you walk around with the, with the tone of expectation and the tone of excitement and the tone in your house of the goodness of God and the tone that, believe me, really quickly those children will pick up on it. And my God, they'll spread, they'll spread that germ of, of goodness like wildfire. You think COVID spreads. You think, you think, who knows how contagious, I don't think anybody knows how contagious it is, but I can tell you how contagious goodness is and how contagious a good tone is. You don't have to get up here and preach, and most of you probably never will. In fact, if you asked me, I'd probably say, nope. That was a joke. It really was a joke. If you want to preach, preach, whatever. But what you do is you preach every day with, with the tone that you release. The tone 2,000 years ago was of, was of anticipation. Here's the thing. When Mary said to Gabriel, be it done unto me according to your word, she had no clue what she was talking about. And in fact, the Bible says that she pondered these things in her heart that the angel had told her, which literally means they revolved again and again in her mind. What did he mean? Could he possibly mean? Is this what this is? Um, is this what? But, she, but she submitted. She surrendered to it. And exactly nine months later, what happened? At the birth of Jesus, although very few people on the earth, some few lowly shepherds, I'm glad that we still have some lowly shepherds in the earth that hear his voice and know that he's coming and see his star, some wise men that see his star. But at the announcement of the birth of Jesus, and I say this to say it to you too, when the tone of, in the earth shifted, suddenly the tone of the heavens was united with the tone of the earth because the Bible says, and suddenly there was with the angel who told the shepherds, a heavenly host of God, praising God and saying, glory to God. In the highest and on earth. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. They didn't expect him. He came into his own and his own didn't know what they were looking at. And they didn't know that he was there. And they didn't know how to receive him. But to as many as received, but to some few lowly shepherds that were simply doing their job watching the sheep that were forgotten about. I wish I had some pastors. I'd prophesy to them this morning. That had been caring and tending the sheep like they were supposed to. And doing the job that God had called them to do. God hadn't forgotten no lowly shepherds. That's the ones that God's going to come with an angel and say, for 
unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And suddenly, anytime you mention the name of Jesus, there is with the angel a heavenly host of God, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. Everybody in the earth didn't see it, but some few lowly shepherds saw it, and they knew the tone in the earth has changed because now it is equal to or parallel with the tone of the heavenlies. They heard what the angel said. They heard the tone of the heavenlies, and that began to be their tone. You're not going to believe what we're going to see. Even the wise men said, we must turn aside and see this great sight. The tone of the heavens will always shift the tone of the earth if you'll listen to it and, as it were, be a voice in the earth. Oh, God. It'd be a, it's like a conduit. That's the thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That's not something that's happened outside of you. You be the conduit. I'll say this one last thing. This is an analogy I've given before, and I want to be finished. I'm not talking about you trying to work up some goodness into your community. You're not going to work this up. You just need to be who you are by the glory of God and be at peace. Years ago, uh, a pastor had a church in Texas, and when he bought the church, they did not buy flood insurance because at that time there, were, there was very rarely any floods that happened in Texas, in this particular part of Texas. However, having this, and this was a huge facility. I think he said you could put three football fields on top on the roof. It was a flat roof. They didn't do pitched roofs because they didn't really need to. They didn't get a whole lot of flooding. And, and anyway, so he, uh, he said, but there was flooding. In fact, in his very city the week before, I think there was 19 people that died in a flood in this particular part of Texas. And he says that this flood came and he shows up to his, uh, he shows up to his church office one Monday morning. He says he got out of his truck to walk up and there were fire engines all over the place and rescue people and all this stuff. And he's like, man, what's going on? He said, a gentleman walked up to him with a badge and said, are you the pastor here? And he said, he looked at him and said, uh, tell me why you want to know first. <laughs> you know? And he said, yeah, I'm the pastor. He said, what's the problem? He said, man, you've got, you've got, Ten, uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands of gallons of water standing on top of that roof. And if we don't get it from up there down to here, it's going to flood through your roof and it's going to fall in. And so he said, well, well, what do you want to do? And they said, we got an idea. He said, what's the idea? He said, what we're going to do is we're going to go up on top of the roof and we're going to take these big six-foot cylinders and we're going to bore them down into the, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the tar that's on top of the roof and tar them in so that their water, we get the water out of them. Uh, and then, and then we're gonna put in. Uh, from there, we're gonna put in pipes that go out the side of your building, out the side of the building, out the side of the building. And then we're gonna release those uh, big pipes, and the water will go instead of into your roof. They'll go out the side of that building in those pipes that we put, the downspouts that we put, so it relieves the water. And so he said, that's exactly what they did. They 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 put these big. Uh, big cylinders on top of the roof, tar it down with pipes out the side of it. They they cut holes in the side of his building up at the top because you know there was like a um, uh, I'm trying to think of a um, you know it's sort of basically like a half wall. You know you ever go on top of a roof like that? Uh, you you can look over over a ledge that would be four or five or six feet, and they cut holes in it so that the water would come out. Anyways, that's finally what they did. They had these downspouts, and and it, he said I think he said within about five or ten minutes, all of the water that was on top of the roof that was held up that was stored up there was down on the, on the earth. And he said, when he watched that happen, the Lord spoke to him and said, did the downspouts work? And he said, yeah, they worked great. They worked great. And he said, the Lord spoke to him a second time and said, Mark, did the downspouts work? Yes, Lord. The water was there. It's here. It worked. And he said, he asked him for a third time. Did the downspouts work? And he said, well, since he had already asked me three times and basically denied what I said, he said, no. He said, Mark, he said, 
they, they, he said, they didn't work. They labored, but they didn't work. They functioned, but they didn't work. The downspouts weren't doing anything. They were just being. They were essentially becoming a conduit by which everything that was stored up there got down here. And they weren't working hard to do it. They were just being what they were supposed to be. What if I were to tell you to change the tone of your atmosphere? It's not about trying to work something up or do something or get in all this crazy. It's not about that. It's about in being who you actually are and allowing the goodness that you see of yourself to manifest through you and release into the atmosphere. I want you to begin today. Eli, just give me something real quick. We're going to pray and we're getting out of here. To have expectation of good things. To begin to function as a son and a daughter of God where the things that are already real manifest through you. Not just in your words, but in your tone. The way you carry yourself. It's not this, God, I just wish 2020 would hurry and be over. God, I just wish. No, it's like, well, God's got three more whole weeks to bless my socks off in 2020. And, not, and we're going to finish strong. And not only are we going to finish strong, I'm going into 2021 up on my feet with my shoulders back, looking forward to what God's going to do. If he's going to use anybody, he's going to use me. If he's going to bless anybody, he's going to bless me. My God, if he's going to, he's God with us. That's who he is. I'm expecting good things. I'm looking for good things. I will not allow what has happened over the last 11 and a half or 12 months rob me from what he's wanting to do in the next three weeks. I'm going to expect good things. And I won't change my expectation to match my surroundings. I will let my surroundings be what they are. And my expectation will birth from me the thing that will deliver me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Finish. See, I wrapped it up. Wrapped it up. Father, to the best of my ability and according to what I believe you've given me, I have conveyed your word to your people. We all understand and know and have been through uh, this crazy tumultuous year and yet you have chosen to be named God with us. We know that you're with us in the middle. We know that you're with us in the storm and we know that we're going to come through this, Lord. But I don't just want to ask you to fast forward this year to get to the next year. What we're looking for is your goodness right now with us. What is it that you would want to do with us? How would you want to co-create with us in this next three weeks that could change the entire tone of this year? In the midst of complete confusion and uncertainty, this has been one of the most profound years in the kingdom that I have ever witnessed. I have seen you do things that should have been, and by man would have been deemed impossible, but you have done them in this year of all years, in the midst and in spite of all the stuff that's happened. So, Lord, I change my expectation from expecting what's the next negative thing that's going to be said or what's the next bad thing the news pundit will say to I expect to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I am in the land of the living. He is my father. I am his son. And because I'm his son or daughter, I am his heir, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, heirs of the promise, not just of everlasting life, but of life and life more abundantly. And if I haven't had it this first 11 and a half months, I'm going to look for life more abundantly in the next three and a half weeks. Give us, that, give us that determination, Lord. Help us to change our tone. Help us to change the tone of the atmosphere. Help us to understand our responsibility to release your glory in this. Not by working it up, by just functioning. In Jesus' name. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. God love you. Hopefully we'll see you next Sunday.